My name is Brian Bradley. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Outward Church. Uh, I, thank you for being here, and I, I hope everybody had a, a good Christmas season, lots of time with family and, and friends, lots of good meals and stuff like that. But listen, I, I know that some of you maybe have a couple people at the bottom of the list you haven't got a gift for yet, right? You haven't seen them yet, but maybe you're doing something later today or next weekend or something like that. I just want to help you out with some last-minute gift ideas for that person that's hard to buy for. Okay, this is a little idea I've been cooking up. Um, you've seen the coffee mugs with, with encouraging verses on them and stuff like that, like, uh, like Psalm uh, 28, 7. Um, <clears throat> you know, the Lord is my strength and my shield. That's nice. You know, you give somebody something like that. Or, or another one, Psalm 46, 10. Be still and know that I am God. This can be great in the morning as you're looking at these things. Um, but see, at Outward, we don't teach the Bible this way. We don't just pick out, you know, verses that are convenient to teach. We preach all of Scripture. We call it expositional teaching. And so there are some other coffee mugs that I might recommend because those may be sold out by now. Uh, so there may be, uh, you know, Job 19, uh, 17 left. My breath is offensive to my wife. You could probably get that mug. I think they still have some left. They're on the shelf. Okay. Uh, another one you may go to is Genesis uh, 15, a, a piece of Genesis 15, 9. Bring me a heifer, three years old, a she-goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Encouraging words for the morning as you're sipping on your coffee. Really meaningful. Okay. Um, and, and lastly, one more that I saw they had some left. Uh, this comes from Jeremiah 10, 14. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. That's a, that's a good one right there. So, just wanted to help you out in case you have a few gifts to get. That should take care of you. Honestly, though, this season is a happy one. It's a joyous one. I, I do hope that you spend a lot of time with, with family and friends and meals and, and all that stuff. Uh, but the reality is this can also be a hard time. Uh, this can be a, a time of, of sadness and, and sorrow. As you gather the family together, you may be acutely aware of the person that's not there. Uh, you may be very aware of the person that's not at the table. Uh, that's a reality of this season is that there's, there's some hardship too. There's, there's some hurt. There's some suffering. Uh, you may be aware of the person who uh, has left or, or the person who has passed away or, or just you may reflect back on your year and all the things that you faced, maybe financial hardships or, or any number of other things. Um, and so I just wanted to talk about that a little bit this morning. A, a go-to verse, a cornerstone verse, if you're dealing with suffering, uh, for many people is Romans 8.18. If, if you jump on Google and you search for Bible verse about suffering, this is bound to come up near the top of the list. Romans 8.18, the Apostle Paul who wrote Romans, he says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He says that the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. And that may be encouraging on face value, or it may just be confusing. What do you mean that these sufferings aren't even worth comparing? And you may ask the question, I think there's two primary questions that we ask. The first may be, what suffering are you talking about, Paul? Paul, do you really know the kind of suffering I'm dealing with? As we look into that question, 
I think it's first helpful to define suffering. I, I think there are three distinct forms of suffering that we endure in this life. The first type of suffering is suffering at our own fault. This is when I break the law, I get caught, and then I have a penalty to pay. I speed, I get caught, I have to pay a ticket. That's suffering, but it's suffering at my own cause, my own fault, right? This may be when you do something stupid like, hey, I'm going to backflip off the roof, onto the trampoline, into the pool, and you get hurt along the way. Uh, that is suffering, but it's, it's kind of your fault. You can't really blame anyone else or question God. It's like, well, I shouldn't have jumped off the roof backwards. That, you know, that was a bad idea. <clears throat> and it may be, uh, you know, something like, I, I forgot to pay my insurance. Uh, I procrastinated, and then there was a house fire, and now I'm footing the bill, right? This is suffering at my own fault, my own cause. The second type of suffering is suffering when you're not at fault. This is when you eat right, you exercise, and then you get sick. It just happens. It just, it just does. It's when, uh, it's when you've always wanted to have kids, and then you can't. This is suffering at no fault of your own, at, at no fault of anyone in particular. It just, it just happens this way. It's when a tree falls on your house during a storm and causes a ton of damage. It's just the way it worked. That's the way the tree fell. That's suffering when you're not at fault. And the third type is suffering at someone else's fault. This is when your dad, who you should be able to trust your life with, abuses you. This is when your spouse who you love chooses to love someone else. This is when someone you love is taken from you because of the carelessness of someone else or just the plain evil actions of someone else. That is suffering when someone else is at fault. And I, I think it's clear that Paul is talking about the last two types of suffering in this passage in Romans 8. He's talking about suffering when you're not at fault, and he's talking about suffering when someone else is at fault. We know this because we can look at what Paul was enduring. Right in 2 Corinthians, Paul gives a long list of the kinds of suffering he experienced in the years of his ministry. Beatings and imprisonment, going without food and clothes, being shipwrecked, being threatened or harmed by his own people and being threatened and harmed by other people. It came from all directions at Paul. And the list goes on and on and on. The afflictions that Paul faced, the kind of suffering Paul was familiar with. And on, through this passage, if we were to keep reading uh, in verse 19 and 20, I'll just read you some highlights. Paul talks about how all of creation is subject to this futility in this, in this age, this day, uh, that all of creation is suffering from a bondage to corruption, and that all of creation is groaning together in the pains of childbirth. I don't know if you have had the incredible joy of experiencing a childbirth or, or witnessing one. I've, I've seen uh, my wife's three births, <laughs> groanings as in childbirth. That is the only way Paul can describe the kind of pain and suffering all of creation is enduring. It's just, it's like childbirth, man. 
I don't know what else to tell you. It's rough. It's rough. He goes on and he, and he says, not only is the creation suffering this way, but we ourselves are. He said, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The suffering we endure, it has us groaning inwardly, longing for something different, longing for relief from this. We can also point to specifically what Paul's readers were enduring. If we were to jump over to the second half of verse 35, he gives a brief list which includes tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. His readers faced all kinds of suffering. So as we ask this question, as we ask this question, Paul, what kind of suffering are you talking about? It's a long list. It's a wide spectrum. And though he may not have listed your affliction in particular, I hope it's easy to see where yours may fit in to this picture. Paul was not hoping to give us an exhaustive list, but to give us a sampling of the kinds of suffering you may be enduring. It's safe to say that he's talking about suffering when you're not at fault and suffering at someone else's fault. It's the hardest kind. As we understand the suffering he's talking about, that this is real suffering. We're, he's not talking about a hangnail, but he's talking about real life, real world suffering. We can be driven then to the second question. The second question is, if that's the suffering you're talking about, Paul, then what is this glory that's to be revealed which makes everything else not even compare? What is this glory that can make all types of suffering not even worth comparing to what's going to be revealed? That's the second question we come to. And Paul explains for us what this hope is, what this glory is. He starts down in verse 24 when he says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is an unseen hope. We, we just wrapped up Christmas. You probably gave and received some gifts. You probably opened some presents. Maybe there was something you were hoping for. Once you open the gift and you have it, you no longer hope in this thing. You have this thing. Right? That's what he's saying here. Hope is in those things to come. The things that are unseen by definition. We don't see what we hope for. But we hope for it anyway. And that's great and all, Paul, but what is it? What is this? Th this unseen hope. Paul kind of teases us here and, and he builds this case for this, this hope, this glory. And he continues to build on it. In verse 26, he shows us an unknown hope. Verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts 
knows what the mind of the Spirit. Uh, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It's an unseen hope, and it's an unknown hope. Paul says that in the midst of suffering, you may not even know how to pray or what to pray for. Have you been here before? Have you been in this place where, where there's just groanings too deep for words? God, I don't even know what to ask for. I don't even know how to pray. He says the Spirit of God sees that. He hears that. He intercedes for us. God prays for us. Through the Holy Spirit, He intercedes for us. Because we don't even know what to say. The groanings too deep for words. It's an unseen hope. It's an unknown hope. And it's often an unfelt hope. Down in verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And verse 30, And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Have you heard this verse before? Have you read this verse in the midst of suffering? That all things work together for the good of those called according to His purposes? Has that confused you as it has confused me? That's a hope that often is not felt. You see what I mean? God is working out all things for my good. It doesn't feel that way. It doesn't look that way right now. That's the unfelt hope. Paul is building this case. And if you hear this verse that, that God is working these things out for your good, you may ask the same question that I asked on July 3rd of 2008, which was essentially this, God, if you're all-knowing, and if you called me, and if you saved me, then how does all this hurt and all this suffering fit in to your plan? Are you familiar with that question? Now, I'll be honest with you, this morning, this was not what I was planning on teaching. Uh, over the last couple weeks as I've been thinking about getting up here right after Christmas. Uh, suffering is not what naturally came to mind. Hey, this will be fun. Um, but honestly, this week as I went and I studied and, and I read, I came across this passage starting in 18 and going down through 30 and, and it just, it grabbed me. This passage grabbed me. It's been a tough year for us, for our family. And it's been a much tougher year for many of you guys. Many of my dear and close friends have suffered things this year that they may reflect on now in this season like I can't even imagine. And I, I was reading this over and over from 18 down through 30, and, and I kept thinking, 
Paul, you got to give me something else, man. You, you, what's this all about? What's the point of this? He's teasing out this hope, this unseen, this unknown, this often unfelt hope. Paul, now what? That doesn't help me. That's not practical. I, I need something else. And honestly, I, I labored over that. And then I read on. I, I tried to, to read before and after a passage that I'm going to teach on. I, I like to see it in the full picture, in the whole context. And I'm so glad I did. I, I read on. I had stopped because the section stopped. But of course, the section headings are not originally in Scripture. Man has added that later to make it helpful to find things. And I'm reading this section in my Bible titled Future Glory, and I wasn't seeing how to get there. And so I kept reading in in verse 31. I I know this is a lot of Scripture, and and for a short sermon, I, I wouldn't normally throw so much at you, but to be perfectly honest, sometimes the best thing I can do is to lead you back to God's Word. Sometimes the best thing I can do is take you to Scripture and let you hear it for yourself. And so I, I beg you to stick with me here through, through the, the end of this because Paul's words are so sweet here. In verse 31, when then shall, I'm sorry, uh, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you hear the hope in that now? Can you see it? Paul took his time building the case for this this unseen, unknown, often unfelt hope, and then he rapid fires hope at us. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God didn't spare His Son for our sake, do we need to worry that He'll care for all of our other needs? Something so much more minor. Who will bring a charge against God's chosen ones? He's the one who justifies. Who would oppose that? He says, who will condemn? Jesus died for our sin and was raised. Who will condemn in the face of that? And he says, now Jesus is at the right hand of God. He's interceding for us. He's pleading our case for us before God. That is hope. That is some serious hope. And Paul then lists these potential separators from this hope. 
He says, tribulation or distress, can that separate us from the hope of God in Christ Jesus? Famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, can they separate us? Can infertility separate us from the hope of God? Can murder or death, disease, can cancer or terrorists separate us from the hope of God? Can fatherlessness, abuse, or infidelity separate us from this hope in God? No, no, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ our Lord. This is like my favorite movie, Taken, right? And not the second one, like Taken Again, or the third one, which was like Taken One More Time or whatever. The first one, the good one, right? Liam Neeson, if you haven't seen this, Somebody takes his daughter by her own stupidity, okay? She gets taken. Uh, and, and nothing will stop him from saving his daughter. He will rip a country apart to get back his daughter, risking his own life like it's nothing for the sake of his daughter. That's the kind of ferocity that God pursues us with. That's why we love that story. We want a Savior like that. That's how God pursues us. I found this quote in my studies that I just loved. Christians are not grim Stoics who manage to muddle through somehow. They are victors who have found from experience that God is ever-present in their trials and that the love of Christ will empower them to overcome the obstacles of life. We're not grim Stoics just somehow getting through life. We're victors. Christ has done this. He has suffered in our place. Now, I, I just want to be clear that I, I, don't, I don't want to diminish the suffering you've experienced this year or before. I am sure that you have suffered great injustice this year. I'm sure of it. I don't want to diminish it, and neither does Paul. But we find hope in the reality that Jesus has suffered an even greater injustice. That the Creator God Himself humbled Himself as a man. He came to heal and to love and to save, born as a baby in a manger, the familiar story we celebrate this time of year. And then the very people he came to save murdered him. He did not lash out. He didn't call down a legion of angels to his defense. No, he suffered and he died. The only sinless one in the place of all, I'm sorry, the only sinless one in the place of all the sinful ones, like you and like me. The Son of God took on his perfect shoulders the weight of our sin. Jesus the Christ was buried in the grave, the greatest injustice in all of human history. But then, Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't stay dead. He gives us a glimpse of the glory that's to come, the eternity with Him that we can participate in. He gives us a taste Jesus says He's going to the right hand of the Father. He's going to intercede for us to plead our case. 
And he says that if we'll place our faith in him, he forgives us and he secures for us a place in God's kingdom. That's where we find hope in the midst of suffering. Things are rough. All of creation groans in agony. Like childbirth, waiting, groaning, suffering. But like childbirth, it's not pointless. There is a very specific point. There is a joy we look forward to. And like childbirth, at the end of this, agony and, and, and pain, there's a new baby, a greater joy. Mom forgets all about it, all about the pain because of this joy. That's what Paul compares our current sufferings to. All of this that we endure now, it pales in comparison to the glory that's coming, the joy that's coming. Let me pray. Jesus, this can be tough. This can be a tough time for many of us. This can be tough to, to endure the suffering uh, that comes throughout the year and maybe to be reminded of it this time of year as we gather with family and, and friends. But God, all the suffering we endure now, you tell us it doesn't even compare that however awful and painful the suffering is now, which is all we can see and imagine, you tell us that's nothing compared to the glory that's coming. God, I can't even wrap my mind around that. I can't even wrap my mind around, around that reality of a glory so great that all this suffering seems like nothing. God, would you help us to see that and to taste that? Would you help us to know that? And Jesus, for anyone who's here that, that may not have their hope found in you, Jesus, will you call them to yourself? Would they respond in faith so they too can receive this hope that you promise?